The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. I just want to share with you a verse and a thought. I had a verse come into my devotions this week, uh, and it was a surprising verse because it was from Lamentations. <laughs> um, as much as I like poetry, I don't spend a lot of time reading there, but the, the verse was Lamentations starting in... Um, 21 or 22 and moving on. I'm like, wow, that's really nice. Straight out of Psalms. Very encouraging. Um, but then I, wa- I thought about reading back a, f- a couple of verses to try to look at a little bit more context and it made a lot of sense. Because if you spend any time reading in Lamentations, it's, it's sorrowful. It can be pretty heavy. So I want to read this verse for you starting in, in verse 19 because it's too tempting just to share the nice stuff. To, to not think about the context of things and not to acknowledge the fact that there's lots of suffering and lots of hurt in this world, in this broken world. But on this Communion Sunday especially, I want to point to the fact, like, to like, what, like what Pastor Kevin said, we serve a living God who is sovereign and has already won the battle. So I hope that this can be a blessing to you this morning. And if you would, would you stand too, please? Remember my affliction and my homelessness, the wormwood and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet, yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, I say. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. And that's Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and and my homelessness, and the wormwood and the poison I continually remember, and I've become depressed. Yet, yet, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I say, the Lord is my portion. I will put my hope in him. Here we are. Week one of Lent. So let's jump right in. The most commonly asked question about Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? If you grew up in a tradition that observed Lent, you've likely been put through the ringer on this one, likely with a little or a lot of guilt attached. There are some who give up things that they know will be really hard, while others are a bit more pragmatic. One of my kids once said that she was giving up green beans. Well played, Aaron. Well played. The idea of giving something up for Lent comes from the fact that from as early as we can trace back, the spiritual discipline of fasting has been part of the season of preparation leading up to Easter. Your Lent experience challenge this week is going to be to fast. One day, just until dinner. I'll leave it up to you after you watch this video and check out your participant journal for the week to decide if you want to go further and incorporate giving something up for the entire 40 days of Lent. If you do, my hope is that you do so as a form of fasting, not as some test of willpower or proving yourself. That's actually the exact opposite of what fasting is meant to accomplish. Let's take a quick look at what fasting is. I'll share a few thoughts in this video, and there are some additional thoughts in your participant journal. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, he questions, quick, 
What do people who fast look like? What kinds of people come to your mind? Do they appear a bit strange? Many of us fear that fasting will make us hollow-eyed fanatics or odd for God. That's funny. I think many of us might think that way. Fasting? It's weird or extreme or unnecessary? Let's start by acknowledging that Jesus seemed to think that fasting would be something we would incorporate into our lives. The teachings of Jesus found in Matthew 6 include meeting the needs of the poor, prayer, forgiving others, proper handling of wealth, trust in and loyalty to God, and fasting. I'm pretty sure very few of us would be willing to call any of these things unimportant. Well, except fasting. Why is fasting so broadly ignored as a normal part of the Christian life? You'll need to trust that I'm a normal guy when I say what I'm about to say. If you asked me to list the top five things that help me stay focused on God, useful for His purposes, and living in a God-honoring way, I would place regular fasting in that list. Yes, I fast regularly. I don't think that makes me super spiritual. In fact, it reminds me of the exact opposite. Without God at work in my life, I'm not a very good person. I'm prone to selfishness, anger, and pride. I can be quick to speak and slow to listen. Very few things in my life control this better than fasting. So, what is fasting? A good working definition of Christian fasting is voluntary absence of food for spiritual reasons. It sounds so counterintuitive. How can going without physical food have spiritual benefit? Well, I explained three benefits of fasting in your participant journal that are especially important during Lent. Fasting is about focus. Your fast, the constant feeling of hunger, reminds you of why you initiated your fast in the first place. For Lent, we're focusing on the crucifixion and resurrection. So, Here's your challenge for the week. We're all going to fast, one day until dinner. That means when we wake up in the morning, we will eat nothing until dinner. Pick whatever day this week is best for you. We're skipping breakfast, lunch, and snacks. Now, here's where people get crazy with rules and start asking all kinds of questions. Can I have my coffee? What about a smoothie? I'll answer like one of my kids, whatever. Here's what I'll do. I'll drink my morning coffee and have nothing but water the rest of the day. Your fast is between you and God. In fact, it's important to keep it that way. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. They try to look miserable and disheveled as so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. What to focus on? At some point during your fast, while your belly is rumbling, take a few minutes to read these short portions of Scripture. They're also listed in your participant journal. Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2. Then, just think for a few minutes about what you read and what your fast is making you think. Then, maybe jot down some thoughts in your journal. Do this, and you'll have completed Challenge 1. I hope you have a great first week of Lent, and I'll see you next Sunday. Good morning. 
My name is Doug Friesen. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing God's word with you this morning. I'm curious, for how many of you is the idea of celebrating Lent new, or at least wasn't part of your childhood? Could you just raise your hand? Okay, because that would be for me as well. Growing up, there wasn't an understanding of Lent. There was Advent before Christmas. There was Easter. Uh, I talked with my parents last week, and I asked them about uh, experiences that they had growing up. And they said when they grew up in rural Manitoba that they actually had three days off for Christmas, three days off for Easter, and three days off for Pentecost. And I thought, well, that would be good. Pentecost, we need to spend more time focusing on Pentecost. They also said that because mainly most of the people were farmers, they took a day off for Epiphany, and they also took a day off for Ascension Day. And I think, yeah, in my history, those ones weren't even on the calendar at all. And the idea here is that we want to have a rhythm of remembering the life of Christ. That throughout the year, we look at the life of Christ and we find ways to say, Lord, I just want to think intentionally about you because of what you did and how you lived. And so we're looking forward to uh, learning more about Christ as we get into Easter and especially today as we focus on fasting. The liturgical calendar is helpful, but it's a man-made tool, and we need to remember that, and its primary use for us, as far as our purpose, is just to help us focus. And focus on what? Make it very clear this, to focus on Jesus Christ. We're not looking at trying to make ourselves better, to self-improve. We want to focus on Christ so that we can adore him, love him, thank him very much for his death and resurrection and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So again, the challenge for you this week is to fast for one day, just throughout the day till dinner, and then also to read Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2. And uh, not going to give, again, like he said on the video, no other instructions. This is just sort of like, just do it. Figure out what that means for you, if you need to talk with a doctor for it, but for that one day, just say, this is what I'm going to fast from. If it could be all food, great. If not, something specific. And just experience that. You can only hear so much before you say, I just need to practice. And when you practice it, remember that the focus is on Christ during that time. And give, that's why we have the word there right away, to read Colossians 2 and Ephesians 2. So just a couple questions for us today. Is fasting something normal Christians do? Well, I think it's clear the answer is no. This is for the super spiritual. This is for those who just want to get an A. No, 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 I... I, I Sorry, I was probably wrong. I should read my Bible better. No, fasting is designed for everyone. It's something that can, again, help us realize our dependence on God. In Matthew, uh, we see this in Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. In verse 17, and when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Do it in secret so that your Father can be pleased with what you do. Uh, As far as I understand, the main reason that fasting is connected to Lent is based on a conversation that the Pharisees had with Jesus. And this is what he says in Luke 5, 33 to 35. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. And that's the basis of saying, okay, in this preparation of Easter, when the bridegroom is, we're thinking about him leaving, paying for our sins, let's fast during that time and uh, prepare our hearts. So when do we fast? 
How often should I fast? There isn't an answer for this as far as this is what you need to do. That's a lot of us is prayerfully dependent on God saying, what's wise for me to do? I would say that one of the answers, never, is not suitable. And for some of us, we might have to say, well, I never have fasted. I never thought about fasting really until I was in my 30s. It wasn't part of my thought life. It wasn't part of my practice in the past. So for some of us, we might say, yeah, I've never practiced that before. So let's think about how I can start integrating this into my life. Uh, For myself, in my early 30s, there was probably about three years where I made that my primary aim is to get to know the Lord better through fasting. And over those three years, I fasted every Monday, and every season I'd do a three-day fast. And it was really helpful for me. It, it served a really good purpose. After that time, it was a discipline that it had done, it's, I felt it was something, move on to something else, you know? But fasting is still part of life, and I know that God is challenging me to engage with him more in fasting again. Right now, I'd say the most regular fasting for me would be Sunday morning, skipping breakfast in preparation of church, not having breakfast and saying, I want to be ready for your word. And having that little bit of hunger, thinking about usually around this time, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. And now I'm thinking about that. <laughs> but, but just to find ways to put it in our life to say, I'm going to practice fasting as a way of demonstrating love and also to be more re- receiving from God. To say, Lord, I'm in a posture where I want to receive from you. Uh, in this, in this uh, little slide there, you see the B-A-T-W. I was wondering, what in the world does B-A-T-W stand for? It stands for boring and therefore wrong. So let's take that one out of the equation too, okay? So just engage into this. So why fast? Again, there's a number of different reasons why we fast. One of the first books I ever read on fasting was by Elmer Towns. It was called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And on your handout, on the second page, it lists nine different fasts and the reason why these people in the Bible fasted. We're not going to get into details on that. There's so many different things you could be fasting for. Uh, But the primary thing we need to realize is that there's a motive in fasting and we can have good and false motives. And I want to just make you aware of Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 first starts talking about how people are fasting with the wrong motives. It says that they were, fat, they were living evil lives, they were doing things they shouldn't be doing, and then at appropriate times they would fast, they would make themselves look like they were sacrificing for God and being humble. And God says, this is not what pleases me. So starting from verse 6 it says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. The primary goal of fasting is to get ourselves into the presence of God, as is any spiritual discipline. If you're doing a discipline to get a particular outcome, that's a man-made thing. (laughs) A spiritual discipline is only benefiting if it gets you into the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, he will do in your heart what he wants to do. And when he does that change in your heart, it will impact the way you live. 
So please remember that. It's so easy to become legalistic or just self-willpowered when it comes to discipline. If you don't get into the presence of God, it's not worth doing. If fasting doesn't help you enjoy him, abide with him, stop fasting. So what exactly is fasting? We can fast from a number of different things, but uh, very clearly in scripture, Fasting is primarily meant for food. It's the voluntary, not a forced, not an obligated, a voluntary absence of food for spiritual reasons. So you're not doing it because you want to lose weight. You're not doing it because you want to prove something. You're doing it again because you need to be brought into the presence of God, and this is going to help you do it. So I just want to talk about why we fast and talk about five different motives. Instead of thinking about ways that we can fast, I want to think about why we fast. What's our heart intent in fasting? And the first thing is to demonstrate dependence on God. In Colossians, it's talking about how we die to ourselves and find life in Christ. But then there's people who are trying to put these different barriers on, saying, do this, don't do this, don't touch this, do touch this. And people are just getting caught up in legalism. And uh, Paul writes, these man-made precepts and false teachings, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We tend to want to try to be in control, to do things, to prove stuff. And whenever we do that, it doesn't help us at all. It might by the way the world looks or how we think, but it doesn't help us in our relationship with God and say, I'm doing this because I've abided with you. You've changed my thought life. You've changed my heart. And now I'm going to live in this way. We fast because it helps us remember that we need to depend on God. Food isn't going to make me live forever. Christ will do that. Spiritual disciplines are meant to lead us to depend on God and not ourselves. Please, again, I'm going to say this many times, be careful in the disciplines you put in and just managing your heart and bringing that before God. Don't, so it's easy to be deceived and to think we're doing something good but doing it actually for the wrong reason. Jesus says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If there was ever someone who could have said, yeah, I'm independent, I can live life well on my own, it would have been Jesus. And Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, so he did this at the start of his ministry. Before his public ministry, he was led to the wilderness by the Spirit, and he fasted for 40 days. So if it's important for our Savior, I'm pretty sure it's important for us. And when he was tempted, he didn't just say, hey, I just fasted for 40 days. I can say no to you. He goes, it is written. In other words, my Father has said this. And because my Father says it, it's true. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'll tell you another personal practice that I've had in my life ever since my early 30s is when I wake up in the morning, if you only have time for breakfast or you have time for God and his word, you skip breakfast. Very simple ways of saying that's the way that fasting can be helpful. And then you get hungry partway through the day. Instead of grumbling, you say, Lord, thank you that I was able to meet with you. Thank you that I was able to feed on you. Thank you that you always give me the bread I need. I'm not starving. You give me everything I need. 
But those grumblings, again, point you to our dependence on God. John 6, verse 27 says this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do you get that? Don't work for food that will spoil. Do work for food that will last, but you're working for it, but the Son of Man gives it to you. There's that really nice interplay between us and God, where he says, effort's important, but remember, it's about receiving from me. The effort isn't just to get, to make for yourself, it's to put yourself in a posture where you're ready to receive, to receive. Give us today our daily bread. It's a posture of thankfulness and receiving. John 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Get that? Again, what we just try to do when we're not allowing it to make us depend on God, when it's just our flesh and our willpower, it doesn't help at all. I'd encourage you to, to just check your spirit regularly. Ask God, how much of this is, am I making myself do it? Oh, I've got to forgive that person. Oh, I've got to be generous. Or, and it's just willpower. And it's not because I've received forgiveness from God so I can give forgiveness to you. It always needs to be that flow. Why else do we fast? Well, to detoxify, physically and spiritually. So if you look up fasting on the internet, you're primarily going to see about losing weight, being in shape, water fast, 21-day fast. You'll see all these different fasts, and they'll tell you medical benefits for fasting. And it's true, there are. I know for myself personally, I've only done one seven-day fast, but pretty much after five days, most of the toxin in your body, the sugars, the caffeine, they're gone. It's very good for you physically to fast. But when we fast towards the Lord, we're not thinking about that. That's not the primary thing. That's a, a side benefit. But the world will say, oh, do it because of that. And the Bible says, no, no. You, we fast because there's other things in our life that we have to give up. We need to be cleansed of. So let's just look at that. Oh, I have to think about this here. You are what you eat. Those of you who were going through Romans 12, during session 5 last week, he mentions Romans 8, verse 6, which says this, For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And from that, he was saying, you know, I can tell a lot from a person by what you eat or what you put into your mind. What you put into your mind will eventually come out in your lifestyle. So you need to be very intentional, again, about guarding the heart. What are you allowing to come in? And so the challenge a week and a half ago was to do a two-day media fast. Don't watch any media that will get your eyes off of the Lord. Just, just take a two-day media fast, not from food, from media. And that made me think when I was a youth pastor here, I got a book called The Hardest 30 Days of Your Life. And a week into it, the challenge was for the youth to do a 21-day media fast. It was quite different then. Everybody didn't have your cell phones and that. It wasn't probably quite as tempting. But what I remember is for the youth who took on that challenge, and it was a big challenge. That's three weeks, no media. The thing I heard the most was the parents complaining about how that was impacting their life at home. We can't have the TV on during supper. All, you know? But the youth who went through it, I think they, they understood what that meant. My, my mind's less cluttered with things right now. It's easier to focus on the Lord. I thought I didn't have time, but I have lots of time. 
And so I'd encourage you with this as well, that we can fast from food. That's the primary thing we're talking about. But we can also fast from other things. And we're not fasting from evil. Okay, if you're thinking that, well, I'm going to fast from evil. That's like, okay, I'll fast from evil, but then I'm all in afterwards. No, that's not the way to think about it. But fast from things that seem to preoccupy your time and, and give that time to the Lord. Again, it's only valuable if what you fast from, you fill it with something that helps you abide with God. If you don't do that, it's wasted time as far as your walk with God. There's another verse in the Bible. This is Proverbs, or this is Romans 6, verse 12. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Uh, fasting is one of those things, too. When I learn to say no to my body, to a legitimate need, it's easier to say no to other things and to say yes to God. So it's just a very practical help when your body's grumbling and you're saying, yeah, I can say no to that, a good desire. Being hungry is a good desire. If I can say no to a good desire to spend time with God, I can definitely learn to say no to a bad desire and surrender that to God and spend time with him. Psalm 19, verses 12 to 13 says this, Who can discern their unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. I know for myself personally that in my times of fasting, when I spend that time with the Lord, one of the things that happens when I slow myself down, especially if this is tied in with silence and solitude, like dedicated time away, the Lord starts showing me things that I wasn't aware of that are hindering my walk with him. And they're not usually things that are blatant sins that people would say, ooh, that's a bad thing. They're subtle things that I'm not aware of and that get me to depend on myself or get me to take time away from God. And so that's one of the benefits of fasting, at least for me, was to just become more aware of those unintentional sins. But also keep your servant from the presumptuous sins, the ones I plan on, the habitual sin that I don't want to let go of so that they won't control me. Again, another benefit, when, when we talk about fasting, I think many of these motives, they apply to pretty much any spiritual discipline you think of. But this is one of the reasons, again, is, Lord, I'm struggling with this, and I need to learn to surrender to you and to accept you in my times of temptation. Walking by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, it says, keep in step with the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So sometimes what happens when I'm fasting is I realize I think I'm walking in my own strength a lot more than I am in the power of the Spirit because temptations seem to overpower me. And I say that, they overpower me, I'm only human. And then I remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but there is no temptation that has seized you that is not common to man. And when you are tempted, God provides a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know what that means? That means that as a Christian, I don't have an excuse to sin. I can't say I'm only human, all humans sin. No, the Bible says, no temptation to seize you except what is common to man. I will provide a way out. So if I sin, there's un unintentional sins for sure, but those ones that I say, I just can't stop, Lord. I have to feel this way. I have to think this way. I have to act out this way. The Bible says that's a blatant lie. If you submit to you, me, I will give you the way out. I will be the way out. Because you want to know what the answer to temptation is? Very simply, it's to get into the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, sin is as ugly as can be. 
As soon as I distance myself from God, sin becomes more appealing, more attractive. So fasting in this way again too, if, it, if those hunger pains come up, I have a season of, of temptation, and it's just, I know this is hard, well if I fast every time my stomach grumbles, I remember, Lord, I give myself to you, I rely on you, I depend on you, cleanse me from my hidden sins, cleanse me from this intentional one as well. Help me to rely on you. Why we fast? To gain discernment. So again, when we're fasting, if I'm learning about walking in the Holy Spirit, I remember the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that he helps me to see reality. And what I need to remember with fasting is that usually when you see fasting in Scripture, it's closely tied with prayer. Prayer and fasting. Again, just not eating doesn't mean anything. But you take that time and you add it with prayer, and it's hugely powerfully effective to help you mature in your walk with God by abiding with him. And for me, prayer means time in God's word. Prayer is definitely us sharing with God, talking with God, but it's very much me learning to listen to God. I cannot say that I listen to God if I don't spend time in his word, and if I only open up his word because I need an answer to something or I want to find the right argument for what I'm going through, if I don't open this up and say, Lord, I just want to know you. Lord, I just want to listen to you. Lord, help me, feed me right now with you. That's why we fast, because we can spend more time with him and his word. Fasting again, just eating, even if you think you have the right motive, can be deathly wrong. I don't, do you remember Paul? Paul's getting in big trouble in Jerusalem, and they're going to be shipping him off to Rome. And Acts uh, 23, verses 12 to 20, 35, talks about over 40 men saying, you know what, this man needs to die. This man is wrong for the church. He's, he's wrong. We, we just got to get rid of him. And it says, we have strictly bound ourselves by oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, I can tell you that those 40 men weren't thinking of themselves as murderous villains. They were thinking of themselves as godly men that were trying to protect their one true God. And this man is blaspheming. We're going to kill him. And we're not going to eat for 40 days, Lord, until you make that happen. Stronghold God. Say, yeah, this, is, this has to be done. We're going to prove it. In a subtle way, we could approach fasting in a very wrong way as well, saying there's something I believe God wants done, and I'm going to fast for that, and I'm going to and say we have to realize that we don't always have the mind of God, even when we're well-intended. Just like those 40 men. They were going to kill Paul, thinking that that's God's will. We have to be very careful of that. Proverbs says this, Proverbs, I think it's 16, verse 2, you might think everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. And the problem is I'm not even aware often of my own motives. <laughs> That's why I need to slow down and ask God to make me aware of those things. Fasting isn't to manipulate God to do what we want, but to help us listen to God to do what he wants. So think of something that's urgent for you something that's really important, not, nothing to be made light of. It could be the salvation of a child. It could be the need for real good employment. It could be what's going on in the Ukraine. But if we have our end goal and saying, I'm fasting for this end goal to be accomplished, 
rather than, Lord, this is my concern, I bring it to you, but my end goal is you. My end goal is that your kingdom come, your will be done. Then we're going down a wrong path. Fasting has everything to do with submission and humbly accepting that we need whatever God wants to give us. There's beautiful picture in scripture about pottery and clay. I'm sure you've heard from it from many different chapters, but Isaiah 64 verse eight says this, yet Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, we are all the work of your hands. The Lord desires for us to be in a relationship where we lovingly trust him to mold us, to shape us, to bring any desire to him and to say, have your way in me. So giving you a Reader's Digest version of how fasting has helped me in this way, from being someone who really would desire to be married and have children over years of fasting, times of fasting, being brought to a place where my desire to be single for the sake of the kingdom has superseded that. And I can tell you fasting has had a big part of the Lord changing my mind to say, you're free to do either, but now I want you to find desire in that. And I can tell you that has been a, a little bit of a battle, and sometimes the Lord would say, remember, I'm the potter, you're the clay. Submit, and what you submit to might not be exactly what you thought, but it will be better than you thought. It doesn't mean that there won't be sacrifice, that there won't be giving up things that you treasure, but God will give you more of him. And that's ultimately, when you pray, Lord, I want you most, you need to understand that all your other prayers, if you really believe that, if you said, Lord, I want you as my first love, all your other prayers, as important as they are, are under that one. And sometimes when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you think, it's because he's answering your bigger prayer. Lord, I want you to be my first love. Lord, I want to live in your faithfulness. And then we get caught up, but why aren't you answering this, Lord? And if only we could hear our Father say, it's because I know what's best for you. Trust me. Why do we fast? To renew or grow in discipline. So again, when we put effort towards earning something, if you're thinking this is helping me earn my salvation, get brownie points with God, disciplines are the wrong road to go. But if you're saying, no, a discipline, the effort is engaging with God. This discipline will help me realize that God exists and he wants me to engage with him. He wants there to be a back and forth, a respectful of that, but he, he doesn't mind that wrestling. But he, he says, I want you to engage with me. And that's how spiritual disciplines are helpful. First uh, Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with uh, irreverent and silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Discipline yourself in godliness. That's not legalism. It can easily become that, but it's not when God says, put every effort to put yourself in a posture to submit to me and receive from me. 
Uh, this is a psychological tool, so it has limited value, but when I trained to be a teacher, you know, they talked about Maslow hierarchy of needs, and the lowest needs are your physiological needs, like food, they're your base needs. Those have to be met for any of the other ones to come. So if you think about being disciplined, what fasting does, it takes a need that is, if you don't do it, you're going to die. You have to eventually eat. But if you can say no to that for a good reason, you can, it's easier to say no to other things that you think are important that aren't quite as foundational. It, it has that impact. So if you're struggling in one way, this is a way of saying, I can say no to this good thing to spend time with God. I can definitely do that on a different, higher level of what I perceive as need. Just a little connection as far as for me. Again, while fasting is primarily from food, the Bible does talk about some other things. And again, fasting is to help us into intimacy. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5 says this to married couples. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to, for, together for prayer. So married couples, there's a time where you can say the intimacy that we have as a couple, let's put that aside and together let's spend that to abide with God. The Bible says that there's a wisdom in that. Give up something that's joyful and good to be in the presence of God, which is even better. And then go back before temptation comes in. But that's, that's spiritual discipline. You can help each other as a couple learn what it means to abide in the presence of God. Romans 12, verse 11 says this, Don't be slothful in zeal, zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So slothful in this sense means indifferent. Don't be like, ah, who cares about zeal, about that's important. I, I, that doesn't matter so much. Be fervent in spirit. The meaning behind that is boil in your spirit. We should be, there should be this passionate energy, actually, to serve the Lord. There should be something in us that, that has to come out. David talks about, I, I held your word in, but then my, my bones were just like they were on fire. It had to come out. Be fervent in serving the Lord. Allow your spiritual disciplines to, to teach you that by submitting to God intentionally, he will give you the right passions, the right energies, the right focuses to serve him. And finally, the last thing to talk about why we fast is to increase and experience delight and desire in God. Joel 2 says this. Joel's speaking to people about the coming of the day of the Lord. And these words from, from God saying, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. When the Bible talks about with all your heart, we think of that and it's kind of primarily emotion, but the Bible says, no, with your whole being, everything that makes you, you, return to God. Find your delight, find your desire in him. And then it says, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Okay, so Lent we know too, right, this whole season, it's, it's a somber time in some ways with a joyous end, right? We, we have sorrow over what Christ had to do for us, but brings us great joy because he did it, because he loves us so much and we have life in him. And now think about, well, if I return to the Lord, like fasting, mourning, weeping, that doesn't sound good. But think about the story of the prodigal son. Took everything that his father gave him, went away, bottom of the road, he turns around and says, I've really messed up my life. And he turns back to God and there he sees his father go like this. Our role is to recognize that we failed 
we've sinned. We should weep over our sin. We shouldn't take it too lightly that God grace forgives us. I sometimes assume that too quickly. I should have sorrow for my sin. It doesn't earn anything, but I, I should say, Lord, I, I sinned against you. I distanced myself from you. That's why you say, return to me. So when we do that with weeping and mourning and fasting, then, the, then what God does, he says, he is gracious and merciful. This is Joel uh, 13. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. When we turn to God with a repentant heart, we find a God who says, I love you. My mercy covers you. I forgive you. And if that doesn't increase your delight and desire in God, you've got, you've got a heart of stone. You don't yet have a heart of flesh that the Bible talks about. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He changes a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. If you don't get excited about being forgiven of your sin, about the journey of being back to God, you might have to check the condition of your heart. Fasting should lead us to gratitude, not to grumbling. So if you go through fasting and at the end of the day it's just like, oh, that was terrible, that was hard, I'm so glad it's over. We've kind of missed the point of fasting. It's like, yeah, don't try to fast in a way that you say, oh, I didn't have any hunger pains. I kind of prepared for it. I didn't even hunger all day. That's pretty good. I got through my one-day fast. No, the point of fasting is that you feel the hunger pain and you enter into it and you say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. You experienced much worse pain on my behalf so I could have life with you. Let those things bring you, again, to the presence of God. Fasting should help us remember that we find the goodness in God, not in anything else in life, first and foremost. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh Lord, forgive me, I'm finding good in too many other things. The things that you've blessed me with, I'm finding my primary satisfaction in there, instead of in you, and then thanking you for the other things that you allow me to participate a verse that you will all be familiar with, as a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. There's also a place to fast from water, sometimes, and then to really have that, that thought life of, yeah, I, I thirst for you, Lord. I'm physically thirsty now. Why don't I thirst for you? I'm physically hungry now. Why don't I hunger for you? And to bring that to God is confession, and then to enter into for me, one of the things that fasting has really done, uh, I only did one long seven-day fast. The one-day fast, three-day fast have had many benefits, but the real benefit for me of the seven-day fast I did was that it helped me realize that Christ is the bread of life, and, and, I, and I internalized that. Right now, Lord, after seven days, all I really want is bread, <laughs> and you're the bread that I really need. It, it brought it from a head level to a heart level for me. John 6, 35 onwards, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Today as we talk about fasting, we also have the great privilege of thinking of sharing the Lord's Supper together in a few moments. I think it's beautiful how God, we, we didn't time that ahead of, you know, thinking about all these things. It's just, I look at that and say, Lord, how beautiful. We think about fasting, and then we think about what you did for us. 
So as we get ready for communion, I just want to give you a few questions that I hope you consider this week, that I hope you consider today. Are you willing to engage in the challenge of fasting this week? If so, how are you going to approach it? If you say no, how are you pursue engaging God instead? If you say, I'm not going to do fasting, I really ask you, please choose something that helps you engage with God this week. And secondly, of the five motives that we've just talked about, which one seems to drive you the most? Which one drives you the least? And is there one that you could think of to focus on this week? What's that thing you say, Lord, this is, I need to learn to depend on you. I need to detoxify. I, I, I need to get discernment. I need to be more disciplined or I just need to delight in you. Uh, right now, we're going to get ready for communion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If you're home right now, this is a time you can go get your, uh, the, whatever you're going to use for bread and juice. If you haven't received one yet, please know that there are uh, containers at the back of the church. And uh, so let's just use this time now to prepare our hearts to enjoy what Christ has done for us. As we come to the Lord's table, this table is meant for anyone who's come to the place where they've said, I know that Jesus is fully God, fully man. I know that he died for my sin. I know that he rose from the grave. And I also know that he sent his Holy Spirit to live in me so that I could find my life in him. If that's you today, let's take, place, take part in the Lord's Supper together. And Jesus said at the table, he said, this is, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's my blood given for you. Every time you drink of this, remember me. Let's do that together as well. Our church has a tradition of taking a benevolent offering every time we have communion. We want to encourage you that if you're able to do that, you can designate it, put it in the basket, or do it online. But right now, we also want to encourage you that there's other ways that we can help those in need. We have a food bank that goes here every other week, so if you want to bring food to help with that, that's wonderful. We actually need some able-bodied people who can carry boxes to, to help with that ministry as well. It would be once a month. Consider doing that. And also for the Crisis Pregnancy Center, we bring baby formula there regularly. And if that's something that you would like to bring, just bring it to the church here and we'll bring it to them. Some of the tangible ways we can help those in need. So let's pray together and we'll, we'll close in worship. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for teaching us from your word about the value of you being the bread of life and fasting from anything that would help us to, to just enter into you more and to give you more praise for being our sustenance, everything that we actually need in life to live. Thank you for blessing us in so many ways. Help us to live with you and for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, it's by your grace that we are saved and by your, your sacrifice and the forgiveness of, of our sins, we're made new. So Lord, this week, by your hand, may we go forth into this world showing your goodness and testifying your name. In your awesome and holy and powerful name, we pray these things. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody.